Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday we have Sean Visser with us, who will teach us more about serving this time. Looking into Romans 12 for our Bible passage today, what can we learn about serving? How does real service look like and who is called to serve? What should be our motivation to serve and what kind of sacrifice does God expect from us? Well, join us now to study today's text together with us and Sean. Good to see you all. Good to see so many familiar masks and so many new masks, uh, faces, sorry. <laughs> uh, still takes some getting used to after three years or something. Um, yeah, but it's, it's actually weird to be back home as a guest, but I'm all the more happy that I can actually be here with you guys, um, even though it was a very spontaneous thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> amen, that's Grace Church. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as we just sung, um, change me like only you can. That's something that, I don't know, um, it, it's, it's weird for us sometimes because we look around in the world and it's more this fake it till you make it kind of thing. Like just try hard enough, keep going, do whatever, and eventually you'll become it or eventually people will think of you as if you had become it. Um, that's absolutely not <laughs> what we want to be looking at today. Um, it's the heart that we want to be looking at. It's the attitudes of how we serve. It's not just keep serving, keep doing it till eventually you'll have achieved it, but look into your heart and from there on serve. Um, before, we want to, before I want to dive in, into to, today's passage, um, I was just thinking on the way here, well, how did Jesus do it back then? Um, he gathered his disciples. He appointed them. He didn't look at their CVs. I mean, fisherman, the brother of someone, the other guy, a tax collector, those were not the CVs, not the people that he would build the entire movement of Christianity around. That's not the people he, I would have picked to spread the gospel. But somehow Jesus knew that these were the followers, the disciples, that would eventually um, carry the world, the word into the world. Pe- Jesus didn't peak, pick people to fulfill the tasks that he had at hand, but he picked them because of the heart that they had put into him, into serving him. Because God, he sees what's hidden in us. He sees the, he sees the heart that we bring to our service, to our worship. And just as we had sung also in the last song, to bring our lives as a daily offering, a worship to the servant king. So I want to open up with two questions that we should be asking ourselves more in regards of, to serving God. And an extension to that, actually, in, to serving one another and to serving in our community. The first one is, in what attitude am I currently serving? And... Where does God want me to serve him voluntarily with all my heart? And those will tie into the, today's passage, which will be in the entirety of Romans 12. Um, and it's going to be quite a bit of scripture, I'm sorry for that. And we'll be jumping back and forth and everything, but uh, I hope we'll get it up on the screen and I hope you can follow. Um, but to begin with, I want to start reading Romans uh, 12, verses 9 to 21. 
Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in seal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I absolutely love how Paul addresses his readers and us in extension through the book of Romans. So he builds up the entire book on this topic of righteousness, revealing the gospel as the righteousness of God. He starts off with his wrath against sinners, the restoration through Christ, the hope then that we can have because of it, and how it extends beyond the Israel to the Gentiles, to you and me, to everyone. And then, chapter 12, he opens with the word, therefore. So, in light of all of what he has said, all of the entire arch that he has built up, what is it that he wants us to do? He wants us to serve. So, we shouldn't be reading through the chapter and thinking, well, okay, um, well, I think I can identify with this and this and a little bit of that. Okay, that's enough. I can close my Bible. Let's get going and that's it. Because when Paul lists gifts or services or ministries here or in elsewhere in Corinthians 12, he doesn't just give us a list and says, well, here, go ahead, do it. But it's always followed up by something. He doesn't just provide this step-by-step or uh, to-do list of ministries in the, to the, in the church, but what he wants to do is to challenge us fundamentally to understand our ministry, the why behind it. So we don't come here to, well, let me rephrase, we, don't, we are not part of the church because of what we do, but because of who we are. And from that, from the who we are, we serve, we do our service. Our identity empowers us to serve, not our service that gives us some sort of identity. So when we approach a service, a task as something to fulfill, then we'll go in with an attitude of, well, okay, if no one else will do it, guess it's me, whatever. That's not serving. That's no service. Because we are not doing work as slaves. It's just like Christian Pana said it a few weeks ago. Um, once, ever since Adam and Eve, we were slaves to sin. 
we were serving unwillingly uh, sin. But then Jesus came and he ransomed us with his blood. And from that we were redeemed out of the slavery to sin and we became slaves of God. But God, instead of receiving us as slaves, he adopted us. He, he made us sons and daughters. He brought us into, our, into his family and he bought our freedom. As we read in Galatians 3, uh, 26 and 27, for all of you are sons, and, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And once we know that, once we realize that we don't serve God to repay our debts, but because, or because it has to be done, but because we love him as sons and daughters, as co-owners, as heirs to what has been given to us, then we can approach this work, this service full of joy because we want to impress our Father, because we want to be with him. We do not love God to get something, but we love God because we know we have already received everything through his Son, Jesus Christ. And exactly that is what Paul is trying to do with these verses 9 to 21. He wants to describe us in our ministry. This is the standard that we are supposed to attain. It's who we are supposed to be as sons and daughters of God. And this is the answer to the introduction that we had on our background verse today in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform, uh, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So then what is our service now? We continue, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober, sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So only with this attitude can we actually approach the work of God with modesty, with humility. Only then can we even start becoming practical. And you know, once it becomes practical, it also means something to us. There are no spectators, no observers. There's no one just standing there idle, passively on the sidelines. When we look at the story of Mary and Martha, we see Martha as the hard-working servant of Jesus, running around, serving the guests, entertaining the party, whilst Mary is just sitting beside Jesus' feet and spectating. But what Mary did there was not just to listen she was worshiping Jesus. Because later in John 12, we read that she's the one who anoints Jesus' feet 
with costly oil, and she dried them then with her hair, because being by Jesus' sight moved her to honor him above all else. Putting Jesus at the center of her attention moved her to become active. So again, there are no observers in church. There's no, there are no spectators in church. If you are here today and you consider yourself as part of this church, there's no watching. There are no idle members. There's no such thing as unemployed in church. Because, as it says, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And um, those of you who know me know that I really, really, really like Tim Keller's books. And uh, probably my favorite one of his uh, is The Reason for God. And the, there he describes, describes this yeah, it describes it this way. The Trinity means that God is relational in his deepest inner being. The evangelist John writes that the Son was in the Father's bosom from all eternity, an ancient symbol for love and intimacy. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself says that the Spirit glorifies him. The Son, in turn, glorifies the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son, and this from eternity for all eternity. What does the word glorify mean? To glorify something or someone means to praise it, to enjoy it, to be happy about it. When we find something useful, we find it attractive because it brings, yeah, it brings us something. But something that is not useful but beautiful, we enjoy for its own sake. It is reward enough for us to just be in his presence. Glorifying someone also means serving them and putting them first. Instead of expecting him to make us happy, we do everything we can, putting aside our own interests to make him happy. And why? Because it is our greatest pleasure to see him happy. Now, what does it mean then that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit glorify one another? Expressed in an image, one could say that an egocentric person is rigid and static and just stands still. But when we put someone, or when we put something above uh, everything, then uh, ourselves, sorry, when we put ourselves above everything, then we expect everything to gather around us and revolve around us like the planets around the sun. We then only approach other people as long as it's serving our goals and as long as it's furthering our well-being. But the inner life of the triune God is completely different. The principle of Trinity life is not selfishness, but mutual self-giving love. So not for our own benefit but, and not for people to look at us, but that when people look at us, look inside a church, they see God through us so that we may bear witness to the glory of God, so that we may glorify God, and that in turn we can invite others to participate in it. So when someone comes into this church as a visitor or um, is part of this church, um, like me, a visitor back again, and sees the members here, what should they think? Well, what great people, what great friends... Great worship music, 
yes, sure. But what we really want people to see when coming here is, wow, what a great God these people are serving. That's the one I really want to get to know. Like, I want to get to know each one of you, but I want to get to know each one of you because I want to get this God that's moving you from your inner being even more. And in looking at the actual ministry, Paul actually only gives it like two verses in the entire passage to describe ministries in the church. Um, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give, it, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. But what he really wants is to get together with all of us. He doesn't want us just to go out there and do them, but like Mary, he wants us to gather around him, to listen to him, to be, be connected to him, to abide in him. Would he have said to Mary, you have chosen the good part if she had no love? Would she have in turn anointed Jesus' feet, dried them with her hair, if she had no love? No, not at all. Because our ministry, our service is based on love. Without love, there's no ministry. And that's why he goes on in verse 9 and says, love must be sincere. Um, I think also Christian, a few weeks ago, said sincere, without wax. It should be unfaked. It should be real. Or as a quote from Matthew Henry says, hypocrites do the devil's drudgery in Christ's livery. Or in normal English, hypocrites do the work of the devil in the form, uniform of God. For example, if we look at Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, we see such an example of insincere love. What was his reaction when Mary used this precious oil and anointed Jesus? John 12 reads, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And on the evening where he sold Jesus, when he approached him in the garden of Gethsemane, how did he greet him? How did Judas greet Jesus in that garden? Yes, with a kiss, with an expression of love. And we read that this bothered Jesus so much that he said to him, Judas, why would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Like, you're showing me this sign of love, you're showing me affection, but there's none of it in you. So our ministry, our service, has to be rid of hypocrisy. It has to be free from pretending to have these non-existing feelings, 
qualities or anything like that. It has to be sincere. Now we are to live and serve sincerely from being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And after this genuine, sincere love, what does Paul say next? Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Or it even says, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Yes, God hates evil. He hates false religion. And wait, wait, God hates? That's really harsh. Because I know we are so often told to shy away from hating things. And I know I wasn't raised to hate anything and also to love my enemies. And yes, we should love our enemies. But evil, evil itself, we should hate. In Isaiah, the people wanted to make sacrifices to God in chapter 1. And God answered to them, What do the multitude, what, is to, uh, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the uh, fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offering. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of uh, convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moon and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. So what, they, what did they do wrong? Or better still, what are we supposed to do right? It's all about the motivation. They have turned away from God. They have performed their worship without, their, without God. They have served God without serving God. They loved God without loving God. They have left the Lord, we read. But Paul tells us in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, be enthusiastic in the spirit. So we have to be in the Lord, we have to be with the Lord to serve him. John 15, the, uh, the beginning of the chapter says, abide in me and I will abide in you. So we have to have this vertical connection once we have this vertical connection with God, then we, can, we are able to pour it out horizontal, uh, horizontally. If we serve the Lord, we will serve one another. If we love the Father, then we will love the children. This is our motivation. This is how we can do it. Once we burn for him, once we have this enthusiasm for him, once we are fervent in spirit, as it says. And this enthusiasm, the reality of it is it comes and goes at times. Maybe you know that feeling you're newly converted or you were just convicted of something in your life. You just came back from a camp, um, a church retreat, um, a seminar, and you're fully charged again. You're full of the Spirit. But then after a while, every di everyday life just starts to catch up with you. You start drifting away. And what then happens, it's, it's not a lack of knowledge that's, that moves on with us drifting away. We have the information. We know that God loves us. We know that we are to serve him. We know that we are to be with him. But just to have the knowledge of God, 
just of the knowledge of the word of God is information. These words that I speak today, nothing more than information. Opening up the Bible and reading through it, nothing more than information. But once we open our hearts to it, once the word of God actually is allowed to become alive in us, then we can experience transformation. Then a two-second prayer in the morning will transform our entire day. Two minutes in the Bible will transform our entire week. It will not only be information that we will lose and not even lose, that we will drift away from, but it will be a transformed self that will move us to love and to serve. So serving is a deed. It is that we can serve the Lord through this deed, through an action or something. Same as love. It is an action. Um, <laughs> if, for example, I told my wife that I loved her and then she saw no action from it, when I only gave her the information, hey, hun, I love you, I love you, I love you, but she never saw anything becoming manifest, then at some point she would, she would question, this, question it, why I'm even proclaiming my love to her. I would even question it at some point, why I keep repeating it, if there's no transformation alive in myself. If I don't approach her, don't put my interests aside, don't, if I expect her to revolve around me as if I am the sun, if I don't start making sacrifices for her, then none of it will ever become true. None of this love will ever become manifest. If I only prioritize my needs, if I only love her as much as I, for example, love a hot pizza that is delivered to me, then I'm only waiting for her to serve me. I'm only waiting for God to serve me. I'm only waiting for one another, each other, to serve me. But the love that we shall have for each other shouldn't be pizza love. It should be self-giving love. It should be sacrificial love. Or as Paul says it, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I can't outdo you if I don't approach you. I can't surpass you if I don't even make a step towards you. I can't show you honor if I don't take up this conversation and meet you where you are. So if you come to me and give me a compliment, well, I'll come back to you next week and write you a poem. If you give me a flower, I'll get you a bouquet. If you give me chocolates, I'll get a gift basket. That's how we should be outdoing one another. And it might sound crazy, and yes, it is, but we are to do it. We are to outdo one another in showing honor. And next, we are to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints. We, we think of it as, well, okay, then once a week I'll drop by and maybe pray for you or something. When Paul was writing this, it was in a very different context to what we have today. Sharing in the, the needs of the saints in those days meant turning your entire lives upside down and making sacrifices because back then when someone was, for example, thrown into prison, you couldn't just drop by once a week and care for them. You had to 
go there, bring your food, share time with them, you, had to, you risked being seen with someone thrown in prison. You were automatically downgraded in society. But he said, still, we have to contribute to those needs. We have to make sacrifices and take from our own rations. And show hospitality. Hospitality doesn't mean to say, well, Tita, for example, you know where we live. If you were to ever be in the area and drop by and ring at the doorbell, I might bring you a glass of water. That's not hospitality. It's to welcome someone in. To welcome someone in, maybe prepare a meal, take time, sacrifice this time which is so precious to us nowadays. Or maybe some of you are um, involved or aware of the uh, situation with the refugees coming from Ukraine. Sharing your home with them, it means a lot of sacrifices to us. It means that we have to plan our schedule around accommodating their needs. It means that we have to make sure that we can drive them around, bring the girl to school. It is, it is a sacrifice of our time, but it is what we are called to do. Because this attitude, these actions that we are doing, these are the ones that will become visible to the outside world. This is how we are able to become a testimony to Jesus, to God. That's what is... What, it, what people will stop at, uh, will come to us and stop at it and ask, hey, why are you even doing this? Why are you sacrificing so much? Why are you showing hospitality to these people? And then we can give testimony. Next, Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These actions, they will fundamentally change us. <clears throat> and not just among one another, but Paul says, Paul wants us to extend this to the world around us. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, but, uh, and they were, they were suffering more and more um, persecution in a world around them where it was increasingly difficult to openly profess uh, the faith in Jesus Christ. But he says we have to be patient, be constant in prayer. Don't look at the world around us, but rejoice in the hope that we have within. We don't rejoice in the tribulation and are hope, uh, patient in hope. We are rejoicing in the hope that is within us. And because of that, we are moved to be patient in tribulation. We are constant in prayer because we don't need the feedback from the world around us, but we have an almighty, loving, wonderful God who we are constantly connected with in prayer. That means that we bless those who persecute us. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so your love should be independent of how we are treated by others. We don't look around us and think, well, he treated me that way, well, I should give him that in return. No. 
we can act independently of how we are being treated. They, they may curse at us, but we will bless. They will hate us, we will love. They will persecute us, but we won't retaliate. And all of that sounds really good, but it is impossible. At least ten times a day I find myself thinking this is impossible. If someone cuts in line at the cashier, or if someone uh, drives recklessly or anything, our natural reaction is to hate them back. It is to curse at them. It is to retaliate for what they have done. And that would be the perfectly normal reaction to it without Jesus. Without Jesus, this is what we ought to do. But with Jesus, we have no excuse to do so. We have no reason to do so because all of a sudden we have been filled with this endless capacity for love. Romans 5, we read, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And if we ever get into one of these situations, we can't say anymore, well, oops, I guess I've run out of love. Nothing left. No, because God only knows abundance. When God pours his love into us, he doesn't just put one or two drops of it into us. He pours it into us so much that it overflows that once we experience the love of God poured out into us, we can't do anything else but pour it out into others around us. We can't go through life anymore looking and viewing life out of this position of poverty, only worrying about our own little obligations and our little tasks and this sacred little world that we've built around us. And if anything comes, then we can be like, well, oops, no love left. I can't do it. We can't just go around life glorifying our own career, our possessions, and pouring ourselves out for our own good because we have been poured into so much that we can't just look into our lives. We have to look into the lives of all of us. We have to share this love. It's it can't be contained. We can't say, well, luckily I've done everything, I've met all my goals, I've um, advanced in my career, and well, actually, I think at the end of the day there might be some time to show hospitality, to be there for the saints, be there for my brothers and sisters. Or actually, wait, better still, I'll do it next week because I still want to complete this and that. Or maybe next month, because then I'm really sure that I have some time. Or maybe by the end of the year. Then I'm there to serve. No, God wants us to act out of his love first, not last. We have been poured into. We can't contain it and be like, well, I'll hold it back until the time is right for me and then I can let it out. No, God has to be our first resort, not our last so then ask our, we can ask ourselves, with what priority do we serve? Do we go into the world just trying to hold back, our, hold back God inside of us and say, well, I'll just be me outside of church and be God's me inside of church? 
Is there anything you're holding back? Is there anything you're going out there thinking, well, actually, this part of life is perfectly fine without God because I think I've managed it. Is there an area of your life where you don't let God's love overflow yet? Is there any part where you don't let God's love allow you to be generous? Generous with your money, with your with your possessions, with your time even, with your words. And when we look at Jesus, when he hung on the cross, what did he say? Was he thinking, well, now it's a good time to plan my revenge? Well, God, actually, you know what? You take revenge on them or better still looking around at the people and being like, you know what, in three days I'll be back and then you'll see. No, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Peter, uh, recalling what had happened in his letter he wrote in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. He did this in the face of the enemy. In the face of the enemy who nailed him to a cross, who punished him with the worst punishment possible. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we also have enemies. And you might be thinking, well, not me, I'm the nice guy. I'm too charismatic, I have too many friends. Nah, not me. But once you go out into the world and you actually let God's love overflow, once you go out into the world and proclaim that there's only one true Savior, the world will turn against you. Because the reality is the world loves darkness. People love darkness. It's like when you walk into a room that is, or you are in a room and it's dark in there, and someone all of a sudden opens the door, turns the lights, uh, yeah, flips the switch and the lights are on. The first reaction is, oh, turn it off, it's too bright, I can't see a thing. And that is the world, that is how the world is reacting to it. John 3 19 says, This is the verdict light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They will see you and me coming into the world, overflowing with God's love, sharing the light, proclaiming the light, and they will turn away from it because the deeds are evil, because they love darkness. But when the light of Jesus shines into the darkness, it won't be overcome. When they nailed the light to a cross, when they laid it in a tomb and covered it in a stone, when they tried to smother the darkness, it didn't overcome, but the triumph was for the light. So, yeah, to start wrapping it up and to just summarize briefly what we have known or what we have read through this short passage so far, it's Maybe to summarize it, yeah, in a few points. Our love should be sincere. It should be without pretense. 
To serve God is to put him first. And we are to serve the Lord. We are not to serve one another. We are not expect to expect others to move towards us. But we are to serve the Lord. And our love should be independent of how we are treated by others. They may curse, we will bless. They may retaliate, we won't. They may hate, we will love. We are to act independent of how we are treated by others. And finally, Paul says, talks about empathy and harmony. How so? Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A quick quiz. Uh, what is the shortest verse in the New Testament? Jesus wept. Yes. And when I read that, or when I read it, what was my first thought? Well, that must be the shortest verse in the New Testament. Uh, yes, but not really. Why did Jesus weep? Why would he weep? Certainly not because Lazarus had just passed away. He already knew that in around about five minutes, Lazarus would be up again and dancing and having a party with them. No, he cried because the others cried. He wept with those who weep. He put himself in the emotional state of others. He gave people a hug. He comforted Mary and Martha. He met the people in their grief. And while weeping with those who weep is tough enough, but I think sometimes it's even harder for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, yes, it's easy to rejoice if you're on the same team and you're a Liverpool fan and they just won the FA Cup yesterday. Well, it's great to rejoice with them. But if you're a Chelsea fan, well, to rejoice with the others, more difficult. Or if you have a colleague at work and you don't really get along that well, you think he's always this kind of colleague who's pulling you down, but at the end of a project, he'll sign his name underneath whatever it was, and he'll look good, and all of a sudden, the boss comes in, and he has a promotion to give out, and this one colleague gets it, and you think, well, lovely that you got it. Um, you so deserve it. It's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice then, but just as we are to weep with those who weep, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to share with people in their emotional state. We are to be there with them. We are not to judge them about them. We are to practice empathy. And harmony, in verses 17 and 18 we read, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not with some people, not just with your friends, not with your neighbors, not just with your colleagues or your family even. No, with all people. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that starts right here in church. It starts right here with the person sitting next to you. It starts right with that person that you're thinking of that you actually really couldn't live, live peaceably with. That's one person that's really annoying you, that's nagging at you, that you just want to ignore. But Paul says so much as depends on you. 
So we have to do our part. We have to have the attitude, well, I'm going to try. We can't just say, well, if he starts making an effort, if he would call me up, eventually I might get around to forgiving him. Eventually I might actually give him a chance of peace. No, we have to go out, we have to approach the people, the person that we really do not want to talk to. And we have to try to come to peace with them. And if then we did everything we could, if we showed genuine love, if we blessed them even though they might curse us, if we loved them even though they might hate us, and it still didn't work out, well, then Paul says so much depends on you. But until then, it depends on you. Until then, you have to go out there. You have to forgive them on the inside. And you have to approach them. You have to make the first step. You have to make the first move. Just as Jesus, the servant king, made the first move. Just as he was not waiting for humanity to end, finally turn around, to finally be good enough, to finally want true peace with him. Oh, he descended from heaven and became man when we were at our worst. He came towards you and me, and he hung on that cross thinking of you and me. And because of that, we can follow his, into his footsteps. Because he didn't even only just say it, because he didn't only just think about doing it, because, but because he actually did it. Because when we walk out there, we know that there are footsteps of Jesus all around us in which we can follow. Because he lived the life that we are supposed to live. And he showed that through the love of God, through the sacrifice that he has given to us now, through his connection that he has made possible again, it is possible for us to go out there and to practice true service, to show true love for one another, to actually share the gospel Not to repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with good. And that is what the world will see. That is how we are then to serve God. That is how we are able then to make his name known throughout the world. Then we can go out and people around us, they will start looking at us. They'll start talking to us. They'll start asking us, who is that God you are serving? Who is that God that's enabling you to do all this? Who is that God who loves so abundantly? Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we pray that, yeah, that you will make us more like Jesus. That we can go out there and Be the images of be the image of your son that you want us to be, that we were meant to be, that we may be image bearers of you, Lord. That we can go out there and let your love overflow. That we will not be held back by by our desires, by our sinful nature that is within us, but that we will be free through your spirit. That we will know that we are no longer slaves of sin, Lord, but that we are sons and daughters of you, 
of your eternal kingdom. And we pray that you will make this service uh, a service of our heart, Lord. That we will not do actions because they need to be done. That we will not do these tasks because we have to, but because we love you. That we can share this joy that we have in you with the people around us. Lord, help us to love our neighbors, to love our friends, our family, our colleagues, our enemies, Lord. Help us to love independently of the world around us, but dependently on you. Help us to overcome evil with good. Help us to be a light that shall not be overcome by darkness. And Lord, help us that we may every day offer our lives as a true worshiping sacrifice to you. That we will be transformed by your word, by your love. That we will burn for you all our days. And help us to encourage one another, to remind us to do so. Help us to speak truth into the lives of one another. We pray, Lord, for the situations around the world that we see that are full of hate, um, of crimes against humanity, of crimes against yeah, the people in Nigeria and in Ukraine and North Korea. And yeah, that we will that we will learn to love and to share your abundant love that will give hope and true hope, Lord. Um, We thank you again for your sacrifice, that we have your son to follow, that we have a possibility of true worship and to come into your presence, Lord. And so I pray that you will encourage us, that you will empower us to go into this week and into the rest of our lives, moved by what you have done. In Jesus' name.